Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. I was thinking as we were broadcasting uh, last weekend and then just going over the news stories over the past number of days about the Kovrig and Spavor families and what they must be suffering with the two Michaels being held hostage by China and how China's manipulating or trying to mani- manipulate the situation and uh, trying to create the dynamic where Meng Wanzhou will be released by Canada and then maybe they would consider releasing the two Michaels, but they're not making any assurances, but, you know. Let's 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 just get moving in that that direction," says uh, says the Chinese government. Give Mr. Trudeau credit; he's saying no, we're not going to do that. Well, as I was thinking about the Kovrig and Spavor families, I was remembering the uh, the family of Robert Hall, who was taken hostage, and there's no there's no pleasant way to say this was beheaded by the ISIS supporting terror group Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines. And I spoke many times with Gord Bibby, who was Robert Hall's cousin, and uh, Mr. Hall's uh, sister, Benice uh, Thomas, who has since passed away of cancer. And uh, Benice was just a remarkably strong woman. And I got in touch in, with Gord because I, I just wanted to have a sense of uh, how the Hall family, the, the greater Hall family, is feeling these days as this situation is playing itself out with China. Gord, thank you so much for coming on the program what memories of your family's nightmare has the imprisoning of the two Michaels in China brought to the surface for you? Thanks, Roy. Good to talk to you again. Uh, well, I, actually, any any hostage taking that uh, makes the news is uh, brings brings back a whole flood of memories. It, uh, there's there's unfortunately been no closure with uh, with the Hall family because because of the, the perpetrator, the uh, guilty parties that. Uh, beheaded uh, John and uh, and Robert are still at large or if they have been arrested they haven't been brought to justice so uh, this uh, this situation with the two Michaels is uh, is just brought everything back again yeah these uh, these things last a long time uh, with uh, with no closure and I, and I I think I mentioned to you uh, by email that uh, Bonice's brother uh, Bill uh, he just passed away from a heart attack a couple of weeks ago. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And and he was charged at the time with doing the negotiation with the terrorists. Uh, he was sort of the point man. He had four different responsibilities, and I I know that he felt a lot of guilt that he let his brother down. And uh, there's no question that I believe that uh, contributed to the decline in his health. Yeah. So, I can't yeah, see how so the, st- the stress must be immense. Yeah. And you mentioned John, so that would be Ron, John uh, Ridsdale. John and, Ridsdale, uh, yes. Yeah, and, and Matthew Fisher, who's going to be on with us next, uh, foreign correspondent for 35 years and contributor to Global News. He was a friend of John Ridsdale's, and, and Matthew's going to be speaking about that. And he could very well have been with uh, John Ridsdale at the time that uh, that uh, Mr. Ridsdale was, was, was abducted. Uh, so we'll get we'll talk to Matthew about that. Uh, but but Gord, you talk about the stresses that you were undergoing, and I remember the conversations we had very well. Uh, Mr. Trudeau and his government didn't exactly um, they didn't behave in a manner in which your family would have expected the federal government to behave. 
Not at all. Uh, you know, his chest thumping about will never pay ransom uh, really didn't uh, comfort the families a lot. And I, uh, I sort of see a similarity there with him uh, chest thumping about uh, not negotiating with the Chinese. I don't, I don't think that uh, is uh, uh, comforting the uh, two Michaels families either. So it, uh, yeah, he was. It was a very aloof. The 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 family were kept uh, silent. They they had no idea what was going on. Nobody shared any information with them. The family was told not to communicate amongst themselves over social media, and there was really nothing to communicate because they didn't know anything. And uh, yeah, the, and the RCMP at the time were. Uh, uh, very aloof and, and and in fact in many cases downright rude when the family would call them to to get more information uh, i can i can tell you and this is one of the positive things i guess that's happened is the rcmp has, has done a 180 degree turn they uh, and that was due solely to the meetings that bonnie bonnie's had with uh, with the rcmp higher ups in ottawa uh, unfortunately, the meetings with some of the government officials hasn't brought the same results. But, uh, no. but the RCMP were, uh, and I think their handling of things with, uh, I, I can't speak for the, the two uh, Michaels families, but I, I think their dealings with them are, are far, far more positive than they were with the whole family. Were you not told, was your family not told by the federal government, perhaps the RCMP, that you should not, under any circumstances, become involved in trying to get, to, to, trying to free, to raise the money to free Mr. Hall, to free your cousin? Well, that's right. I, I think it was, actually, Roy, I think it was against the law. I think, I think you could actually... I think it still is, by the way, yeah. I think it is. rent some money. That, that, I understand, has since changed. But oh, it's changed? I know they changed it in the United States. I, I wasn't sure if they'd done it in Canada. No, I believe it. Uh, I believe it's changed in Canada now. Again, I think that was due primarily to uh, Bonisa's efforts. Yeah, but you were told your family was told you were not allowed to raise funds, and you shouldn't talk to the media either. That's right. That's right. And uh, and we're putting and Bill, Bill's uh, Robert's brother, Bill, was put in this untenable situation of negotiating with the terrorists. I mean, he had he had no training. He had no no. It's just awful. Real, skills with with negotiating with international terrorists uh, it was just uh, it was just very sad your family was literally on your own you were left to to struggle and you had no assistance really from anybody when you might have well have ex expected that That's there might right. be at least something coming your way something positive being directed your way that's right, and uh, and even after news, uh, like I heard about uh, Robert's death, uh, waiting for a, a ferry early in the morning, and uh, uh, my wife and I were on our way back from uh, granddaughter's wedding, and I heard about Bob's death uh, when we were in the lineup, uh, tuned into the radio, and it was the lead story. Uh, some of the other members of the family heard it, uh, heard it via the press as well, so... Uh, things hadn't improved much after after Bob's death. It was uh, yeah. Gord, Gord, if you had, if you might offer some thoughts uh, for the families of uh, Michael's Korvrig and Spavor, what would they be? What would you say to the families? Oh uh, well, uh, try and stay positive. Uh, 
fortunately, our family, uh, the Hall family, and and the whole extended family is very large, very supportive. So I think you have to sort of rely on yourselves, uh, offer support, uh, try and get as much information as possible. Uh, I, I think had we been able to receive more information and, and not kept like mushrooms in the dark, uh, it, it may have helped us understand what, what the government was doing and, and certainly not doing. And so uh, I would try and get as much information as you can. And, and gosh, I, I hope you've got somebody like Bonnie in your in your court because, <laughs> my she, gosh. She was remarkable. Oh, she was absolutely I miss, remarkable. I miss her so much. Well, we all do. She was uh, she was one of a kind, yeah. and uh, as I say, she uh, she sort of led the charge, and we all got behind her, and away we went. So, you know, if you can, if I don't, I don't know whether they have somebody like that with that sort of tenacity, but it certainly it certainly helped. It was a way of getting rid of some of the frustration. Was uh, you know seeing her at work yeah Gord thanks for talking to us and again condolences on your most recent uh, tragic loss um, with uh, uh, Miss with your cousin Robert Hall's uh, brother Bill dying and and uh, your family was left alone at a time they shouldn't have been but you're remarkable people and uh, thanks for talking to us today well thanks take very much care. Roy for your support yes sir take good care Gord Bibby whose uh, cousin Robert Hall was kidnapped by the uh, ISIS affiliated group Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines, and they were left exactly to their own devices. And they were really told by the federal government, don't even communicate with yourselves, with each other, in, within the family, on social media. And do not talk to the, to, uh, to media. Don't talk to mainstream media. Don't talk to, uh, you know, people like me. But we spend a lot of time speaking with the, uh, with the Hall family, and they've gone through so much. It's time for our weekly conversation with uh, Matthew Fisher. 35 years of foreign correspondent, now columnist uh, for Global News, contributor to globalnews.ca. Matthew's friend, John Ridsdale, was a fellow captive to Robert Hall in the Philippines, hostage. Matthew writes about uh, Mr. Ridsdale in his column partly, but he also speaks about and writes about the issue of the Trudeau government not agreeing to negotiating any hostage release. Matthew, thanks for coming on the program. I just spoke, I don't know if you had a chance to hear, I spoke with Gord Bibby. Robert Hall's cousin just a couple of minutes ago, uh, and it's coincidental completely that here you are, the next segment, and you're a friend of of Mr. Hall's fellow uh, hostage, uh, John Ridsdale. must be difficult for you to just think about your friend, and from what I gather from your column, you might very well have been there with him. Yes, although I don't want to emphasize that point, because I wasn't, and he was, so was Mr. Hall, and uh, they had the worst thing imaginable happen to them after experiencing months of terrible things so yes uh, i was going to go down there uh, john uh, had invited me down and uh, i spoke at the with some folks at the canadian embassy in manila and very uh, exceptionally for me i took their advice they said they thought it was too dangerous for me to be there the chances of problems with abu sayyaf so i i didn't go but uh, I was very anguished at the time he was taken uh, because there was this question, should Canada negotiate with uh, those who had kidnapped him for money, although they were a terrorist group or are a terrorist group, Abu Sayyaf. 
And uh, finally, I had to go to what my base opinion on this uh, bedrock opinion had always been, Roy, which is you just cannot deal with these people. Uh, but I felt terrible to even hold that position, given the, uh, the awful situation of uh, Robert Hall and John uh, Ridstel. Uh, just a terrible choice, and a terrible choice for the prime minister to have to make or any political leader what do you do in such a situation? It's a, it is a real moral dilemma. Yeah, some countries do pay ransom for their citizens. They don't officially necessarily make the case. Italy is one of those countries, at least considered to be one of those countries. But it is a, it is a conundrum. But uh, I'm just reading earlier today, uh, Matthew, that uh, countries that don't pay ransom or at least have a public policy which states they won't still have their citizens abducted. It doesn't really seem to matter much to the kidnappers what country you're from. Uh, no, I don't. But that's probably true I, uh, that it is that way. But it is a matter of right or wrong. Do you speak with anyone who has uh, taken away somebody's uh, liberty uh, to free them for money? Should governments be involved? Often what happens in Europe, in Norway, and in Italy is it's done indirectly through uh, intermediaries, but the government at the end of the day um, is behind it. I, I, that does, still doesn't shake me from the opinion. It, it is, uh, there are extra layers to this problem regarding China because it is not a ragtag terrorist group uh, right, exactly. that's taken the two Michaels. It is a government and, I mean, it is disgusting that the world's most populous nation goes after two Canadians who are completely innocent. Uh, uh, so it's another, uh, it is a different problem, really, than the one in the Philippines. But I, I like, I shouldn't say like, that isn't the right word, but I, I support the Canadian government's position not to talk to these, these people. Well, I certainly support Mr. Trudeau's position vis-a-vis -vis China and any negotiations, uh, official, unofficial, pressure or not pressured, uh, to come up with some kind of quid pro quo release for the two Michaels if we would le release Meng Wanzhou. Do you have any sense at all, Matthew? You know the international world, the international situation far better than I. Is there a possibility there is a uh, quiet negotiation taking place that will result in some way uh, the resolution to this issue for for everyone? I don't think there is now, but it is always possible. Certainly in the last few months, uh, a group of Canadians took it upon themselves to go really outside the government and try to negotiate with China, which I object to also very strongly. They say only the government was aware we were doing this. They're careful, though. They don't say that the government approved of what they were doing, just that the government was aware. The Are you talking about Gordon? In Canada, I've heard a number of times uh, that this is because of Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, I have no time for Donald Trump at all in just about everything he does, let's say 98% of what he does. But... Uh, about Meng and Huawei, this legal action was started by Barack Obama's government, not by Donald Trump. And okay. 
it has strong bipartisan support. And, you know, the Americans don't agree about anything right. politically. Matthew, sorry, but... 99% in the U.S. Congress. But the, the clock has gotten us, and we're about to hit a hard break here. I think you were talking about maybe Professor Holden's uh, group that went to China last November, and we, we spoke with Professor Holden yesterday on the show. So much to talk about here. We'll make some more time next weekend. Matthew, always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Good talking uh, to you, my friend. Thank you, Roy. All the best. Matthew Fisher, at M. Fisher Overseas on Twitter. They would not be in jail now if it had not been for the Madame Meng. Um, again, they were taken virtually as hostages. China did not admit to that openly. They hinted at it in private, and now they've said it in public. Uh, this was a retaliation. Uh, China plays hardball when they want to. Professor Gordon Holden from yesterday's program, the executive director of the China Institute at the University of Alberta, and speaking to us about uh, the mission to China, he and other Canadians, and some of note, particularly former cabinet ministers, undertook last November, and one of the main issues that they had, one of the main objectives they had, was to create the kind of climate where there might be some useful and positive dialogue about uh, releasing the two Michaels from Chinese custody. Since that time, of course, there has been uh, more uh, engagement on the Meng Wanzhou case. Uh, she's been denied the opportunity to leave Canada by the British Columbia Supreme Court. And uh, and the two Michaels have been charged with espionage. They could face up to 20 years in prison. And in the last few days, uh, China has uh, suggested, through their foreign ministry spokesperson, that if Ms. Meng were to be allowed to return to China from Canada, Perhaps China would see the opportunity to release the two Michaels. And again, this flies in the face of China having said for some significant time that the two cases are not related at all, but suddenly they are relatable, at least according to China. And then there was the letter signed by 19 prominent Canadians, including a retired justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, suggesting that this government of ours, the federal government, could in fact release Ms. Meng to return to China and still be within the confines of Canadian legislation. That has generated a lot of opinion and a lot of thought. Two additional letters have been sent, uh, one by senators saying that the Magnitsky Act sanctions should be applied uh, toward Chinese officials in violation of human rights. The um, the uh, senator, Senator Hosakis, was a guest on this program yesterday. He's one of the principal authors of the letter. And there's also a letter from the McDonald laurier Institute signed by a number of prominent Canadians arguing Ms. Meng must stay in this country. There's so much to talk about. Tuesday, the 35th anniversary of the mass murder of 329 people on the Air India Flight 182 from Canada as a terrorist bomb exploded, downing the passenger jet off the coast of Ireland. And uh, in his autobiography, the former Premier of British Columbia, Ujjal Dosanjh, uh, writes the autobiography, by the way, is uh, titled Journey After Midnight, India, Canada, and the Road Beyond. Premier Dosanjh reveals that he, his wife, and three sons narrowly missed being on the uh, on Flight 182. And there's systemic racism to talk about. All of that with the former Premier. And uh, Premier Dosanjh, thank you for the time. I call on you to come on this program when, when, when really thoughtful opinion is necessary and uh, and I do appreciate you coming on on the program let's start with that that letter signed by 19 prominent Canadians saying it's okay to release Ms. Wong to China 
Well, I, I was, as I said, I was shocked and um, actually embarrassed because I, I think that these are really smart people with a lot of experience in various fields, politics, law, justice. Um, and, and I think with that, you know, stroke of a pen, with their signatures, they diminished our government's capacity to get the Michaels um, freed. Um, and in fact showed um, uh, a, a certain weakness, and therefore um, I think in the long run harming the chances of us of being able to get the Michaels. Um, and, and China has become a bully internationally, and, and China obviously kidnapped these two individuals and uh, did so in retaliation of uh, Meng's legal arrest um, Pursuant to the extradition treaty that we have with the United States of America, you know, actually, much worse. I, I looked at the letter. I, I, I it, it was more of a, a foreign policy document as well. It was, in a way, it would have tilted us away from our links with the United States of America, um, and and sort of taken us into, if there is something called the China camp, and I and I thought. That really, uh, and that didn't sit well with me. Yeah. I spoke earlier in the program with Sam Cooper, investigative journalist with Global News, who wrote a story uh, which was headlined, Why CSIS Believes Canada is a Permissive Target for China's Interference. And uh, Sam talked to us about China's policy of uh, influencing influential people. So in Canada's case, if they want to get something done that uh, positively affects Beijing from their perspective, they may have a number of people in this country they have done business deals with or otherwise have created a dynamic where those people will carry forward China's message. I'm not suggesting that's the case with this letter signed by the 19 people. But uh, we should expect, based on this story, and it sounds rational, that China would in fact attempt ways to persuade Canadians through their contact with influential Canadians to see things their way. Well, you know, most most countries engage in that kind of activity. There's no there's no question, and China uh, obviously does so um, with uh, you know all of the things such as Confucius Institutes and the front organizations that they have in other countries. Uh, they pursue their objectives. Uh, it's just that we need to be mindful of of those um, activities, and we need to make sure that um, that we uh, are vigilant. Uh, I've I, I found the letter um, really um, strikingly um, unwise as a step by all of these individuals who are very smart, as I said, and I know some of them. What do you expect is going to happen? Because China isn't going to just let this lie. Meng Wanzhou is significantly important to the Xi government, as is Huawei. She's the chief operating officer, the daughter of the founder of this massive company that is a jewel in the, in the Chinese communist system. Now, what do you expect to, is going to take place? I, I think that, 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 you know, China doesn't play by the international rules. And, and, and we have known that. Um, and, uh, in fact, um, you know, we should be fighting against that, that, that stubbornness on China's part rather than saying, you know, in, in the letter, as these writers said, that, that the old system, the old international rules-based system seems to be breaking apart or breaking down. 
uh, and and the old conventions won't work. Therefore, we should release Monk. And and I think that that is the wrong way to go, um, because then we will be in a in a in a world that has no rules whatsoever. Um, I think China would continue to hold the two Michael unless we can uh, organize uh, a strong front with uh, with Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United States, and you know ignore President Trump. I mean, he has a habit of being transactional, as his uh, national security advisor says he was in this particular case of Meng. Uh, you know, he, he, he's rather just sort of, he, he's willing to trade this for that. But ignore him, uh, deep within the U.S. system, there are people who um, want to conduct international affairs on a rule-based system, and we need to work with them and with like-minded countries across the world, and that's the only way um, to to uh, make China understand that uh, that you know this kind of uh, attitude, this kind of conduct on their part, will not be acceptable. And I know it's hard for the Michael's families uh, and friends to hear this, but uh, and I know it's heartbreaking situation. But um, but I don't think we should be bullied uh, by anyone in this regard. We are following our extradition treaty. We uh, did uh, legitimately arrest Meng. Uh, the court has ruled uh, to that effect, and uh, the proceedings continue. Uh, I, I don't know what China is going to do, but China obviously isn't going to release these two individuals uh, unless Meng is released, because Meng is part of that system of China where you know uh, her father, I understand, comes from the military, and military is part of the Communist Party. Military is not um, subject to the state. It is subject to the Communist Party of China. And uh, and so, you know, there are ties, both business and political, uh, that go deep within the system. And I don't, I don't expect China to be releasing Michaels anytime soon. But bullying, bullying, you know, bowing to their bullying this time would uh, only encourage that kind of... Uh, conduct again on China's part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Many years ago, this is very simplistic, but many years ago, um, I remember uh, a sports coach saying to uh, to our team that we should never allow ourselves to be bullied when we were playing. He said, and he put it in these terms, if people know you'll run, they'll get their kicks out of chasing you. And I, that's very simplistic, but it really boils it down to the most common denominator. We found out in your autobiography, Journey After Midnight, India, Canada, and the road beyond, that you, your wife, and your sons narrowly missed being on that flight. Would you speak about the, uh, the, 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 the lasting impact of that attack and, and perhaps share with us how it came to be that you were almost on that plane? Well, it, we, <clears throat> these were summer holidays, and I'd been wanting uh, to take my sons um, to India for a longer period of time. Um, I had already taken them in, in, uh, at Christmas 83 and New Year 84. Um, and um, it was only my brother who kept, um, my older brother kept saying to me, you, you're crazy, it's going to be so hot in India, you, you don't want your children to get sick, don't go, don't go. That was the only reason that, that we canceled and we made plans to go across Canada on, on, a, on a car trip with my sons, and, um, and that's what happened, actually. The day, um, a few days after 
Air India, we left for a cross Canada trip, um, and, and um, it, you know it was a shock, big shock, and, and obviously uh, I didn't tell anybody at that time because I didn't want the story to be about me. I, I wanted uh, to obviously pay respect to the to the people that were lost and um, and um, support the families that were left behind. And obviously, they have had no. Um, they really haven't had any closure. Um, it, you know, we've had an inquiry. We now have um, memorials in Toronto and here and in Ireland. And uh, and I think the government of Canada came to the table late, um, but uh, has now. Um, you know, they now now this particular day is commemorated. Uh, um, across the country, and uh, families obviously try and cope with it, uh, but there's no closure because, um, you know, I uh, the because the agencies, the RCMP and CSIS, which was brand new at that time, um, didn't have the wherewithal or didn't know um, what was transpiring within the community and weren't able to bring to bear their expertise and uh, prosecute the people. Uh, it was a belated prosecution, unsuccessful, unfortunately, and um, that's where we are. Yeah, it's uh, just a, such a terrible, terrible thing to contemplate. Uh, and each year when the anniversary comes, uh, I, I just find myself just thinking about the people on the plane and their families today. And as you say, there has been no closure for them. And I don't know how you could ever find closure yeah, for something as as horrible as that, but it, we need. It's, it's impossible, but yeah, I understand the 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 investigation is still active, whatever that means. Um, you know, we lost a journalist uh, who was going to testify uh, to to violence as well. Yeah, Premier, the issue of systemic racism in this country. How do you see it? How do you see the Canada? You um, you came to this country from India. You were very successful, very well respected, very well liked. Elected to provincial government, the highest office in the British in British Columbia. You were elected to the federal parliament. You were a federal cabinet minister. As all this was happening around you, were you aware of? Was there systemic racism that was taking place that you were? significantly aware of, but maybe not able to do anything really about? I mean, how do you approach this question? Well, you know, first of all, um, there's no question um, there's racism in most societies. Um, And, you know, there is racism in Canada. Um, But Canada is not as racist as it was when we, um, you know, sent the Japanese into camps and and took away their property in the 1940s uh, or when we sent Kamagatamaru away when we put Chinese head tax on. You know, Canada is not as racist. Canada has improved. Canada is one of the more, one of the fairer societies on earth. That's why people from all over the world want to come and live in Canada. Um, You know, I I was in England. I, I was an immigrant in England. I chose to come to Canada from there because I thought Canada was a better place at that time from Britain. Um, and I have never felt that I was wrong. But, you know, in terms of this debate around systemic racism, um, whatever you might call it, the fact is there's racism, and there's racism in, in, in institutions and in the practices that we have 
you know, the, 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 the fact is, at the same time, we must understand our society isn't the United States of America. Our police aren't as militarized as the United States police are. Uh, our policing guidelines, use of force guidelines, and all of those things are very much different from the way things are being done in the United States of America. Um, I just saw in the Vancouver province today uh, there was a spread that, that um, went over the um, the visible minority populations in places like Vancouver, which is, I understand, about 55% of the population in Vancouver is of visible minority um, indigenous as well, and uh, about 26% of the um, makeup of the of the police is from visible minorities and indigenous communities. So obviously we need to do a better job of reflecting the communities. Um, but but to suggest that, you know, there is this deliberate institutional racism propelled by in some organized force, that isn't true. If right. that's the definition of systemic racism. Right. Um, Premier, but, I- but there are individuals who are racist. But, you know, the fact is... In the community where I, that I'm an Indo-Canadian, and I can tell you within the Indo-Canadian community, there is still racism uh, against the indigenous community. You find people talking uh, badly about them, talking negatively about them, unreasonably about them. And so, so the fact is, we all need to make improvement. Yeah, Premier, I hate to do this. I hate this to do this to you, but we're really just out of time. But thank you again for coming on the program. I talk to you when I think we need some thoughtful input. Uh, we all can use it. And the last time we did this was during the rail blockade, which was February, and it just seems like it was forever uh, with everything that's gone on. Premier Dosange, thank you so much for the time today. All the best. Milwaukee City Council has voted 12 nothing to disband the Milwaukee Police Department, at least to begin the process and replace it with a holistic approach organization some city council members, we're told, has re- have received death threats and hired private security to protect them. Council's decision, as I understand it, will be confirmed or refused by residents and voters. Jane Kirtley is a professor of law and media ethics at the University of Minnesota. She's a resident of Milwaukee, been a guest on our program many times over the years. Jane, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And uh, so Minneapolis Council has begun unanimously the process which could lead to the disbanding of the police department. But it's not a sure thing. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, our council is a strong council, weak mayor model, but there are several steps that have to happen. They're trying to fast-track this, but first of all, the mayor does have the authority to veto this before it even goes to the voters. Um, they've got to have some hearings in July. If they do decide to push it forward and the mayor concurs, it will go on the ballot for November. They have to meet a deadline of August 27th before that can happen. So I understand that they would replace the Minneapolis Police Department with, quote, the Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention, end quote. Is there any idea what that would look like, and has it been explained? It has not been explained, certainly not to my satisfaction, and the mayor himself has said that until he gets more clarity on very basic questions like whether there's even going to be a police department, um, he's not taking a position. And a number of council members, including the one who represents me, have not, although he voted for it in principle, he's not said that he will go forward with the final approval process. The devil's in the details on this, and we've had enough issues with crime here in the last three weeks or so 
that it raises a serious question about what, what they really have in mind. Yeah, I saw a tweet from the city of Minneapolis about an increase in violence, which has included fatalities. So, Jane, what is your feeling about what's what's going on, what's transpiring now in the city? How do you feel about this? Well, it's it's a it's a, an unnerving time. I mean, we're not you know it's it's not slaughter in the streets, but our our shootings have gone up in the last um, as compared to this time last year by about forty seven percent. Um, there are a lot of theories about why that's happening, but there's no question in my mind that we do need better policing, better being the operative word. And one of the big problems is that we have a compulsory binding arbitration process that deals with police disciplinary measures. A, a lot of the problem, I think, stems from the fact that it's very difficult to uh, eliminate officers who are, frankly, bad actors. Are police responding to calls now as they have in the past? Um, yes, I think they are. Uh, hard, to, hard to say because there's so much variation throughout the city. You may have read that there's an area west of where I live called the Powderhorn area where the residents there have, have declared they will not call the police. And like so many cities in at least the United States, I don't know if it's gone up to Canada too, we've been having a lot of fireworks after 9 o'clock at night. They're illegal in the city of Minneapolis. I mean, anything but sparklers are illegal in our city. Um, and that seems to go unabated. I mean, as long as that's not burning down somebody's house, I guess it's not a huge deal. But it does raise the question of whether if you ignore these kinds of violations, whether they escalate to bigger ones. Well, there's a lot more to come, I'm sure, and, uh, you know, I'll never forget our conversation we had a couple of days after the uh, the death of uh, Mr. Floyd and uh, what was going on in the city then. So we'll stay in touch, and Jane, thank you for coming on. It was very short notice. really appreciate you making the time. Thanks so much, Roy. You take care. Professor Jane Kirtley from the University of Minnesota. She's a law professor and media ethics professor. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.